Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, just when you think the year 2020 has hit peak weird, the first day of uh, Roland Garros happens. <laughs> And uh, your entire definition of weird goes completely out of the window. Uh, This is the Tennis Podcast, our first Roland Garros daily that's not relived. Let's not ever relive this day uh, of 2020. (laughs) And what an incredibly bizarre day it has been for me personally. on a number of levels, but also uh, more widely. Uh, lots of interesting things have happened. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to call upon both David and Matt to tell you about them because all I saw uh, tennis-wise today was Jeremy Shardy against uh, Yulia, no, Yuri, oh God, Yuri. <laughs> I've only talked about him for five hours today, Yuri Rodionov, uh, who's now a big part of my life, despite the fact that I've erased his name from my memory. Um, yeah, so I was occupied commentating on that, on Suzanne Longlin uh, and other fun escapades, which I'm sure we'll get into, while sort of interesting, bizarre uh, stuff was happening elsewhere. It's, what happened it's with Shadi and Rodionov? Well, old Yuri, uh, he, he only went and won his first ever Grand Slam match, David, and he only went and did it Uh, From two sets to love down, his first ever five-setter, 21 years old, Austrian. Fantastic. Anything else you'd like to know about him? Yes, match point down. Jeremy Shardy served for a straight sets win and three hours later, Catherine was still there commentating on the match. (laughs) Yeah. I said yes to a scone and soup. Uh, I was offered a scone and soup by my flatmate and I said, yes, please, I'll be done. I'll I'll have a five minute break in precisely five minutes. And 17 and a half hours later, (laughs) I was still commentating on Jeremy Shardy and Yuri Rodionov, uh, having not consumed anything for what felt like forever. So thank you, Jeremy. That sounds nice. What sort of soup would it have been? It was like a vegetable soup uh, and a cheese scone. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, because you you do commentary from home, don't you, these days? Well, t- today uh, today and tomorrow I do, yes. Uh, and it's quite an experience. I mean, kind of great um, that I could sit with sort of multiple blankets wrapped around me because it was that kind of day. And I think watching watching the conditions in Paris made me genuinely made me feel cold i'm still i'm still in that state of cold where i feel like i need a bath to really heat me 
heat me through. I feel cold to the bone. And I I blame Paris for that. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, isn't it? Watch, watching the action today did genuinely make you feel cold and a bit miserable. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to be grumpy about it. I mean, we've got a Grand Slam going on, and it's great to have a Grand Slam going on, but it was jarring early on. I've got a feeling, David, that Matt loved it. He might be our source of, of enthusiasm here. Tell us about your day, Matt. I loved the start of the day. I thought it was hilarious when they all walked out wearing their tracksuits and it was raining and it was 40 mile an hour winds. Azarenka was in a puffer jacket. (laughs) I mean, they looked more like Arctic explorers than tennis players. It was absolutely wonderful, I thought, for about an hour. Um, Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the open golf, where it's more a battle against the conditions and the element than the actual sport. I didn't, I didn't focus on a single shot that was hit for about an hour. I was just sort of jumping from court to court to see what everyone was wearing. And there was, <laughs> and, and there was one stage where the only two players who didn't have extra layers on were Dan Evans from Solihull and Emil Rusevori from Finland. And I thought yeah. that sort of summed it up. Everyone else was, was layered and had tracksuits. Sensibly, I thought, but yeah, yeah we I mean, saw tennis played in a gilet today. That's was it a gilet? Well, I mean, I thought it looked like a photographer's vest. Um, mm, that's a good description. That we what Venus Williams Queens, was wearing, but I think it was more quilted than that to provide much needed, much needed insulation, warmth. Yes. Um, so f- for an hour or so, I couldn't really see the ball on many of the courts because the cameras just sort of had drops of rain on them yet i kind of loved it it was kind of the chaos that i was hoping for but i must say as the day wore on i was i was kind of hoping for some better tennis and i think i think the wind and the conditions did make it very very difficult for them can we get yeah. Naomi Brody's line in at this point, who I was mm. commentating with on, on BBC Radio, who said that Victoria Azarenka looked like someone trying to escape excess baggage charges at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> she was, was wearing she everything to she her, owned. Her demeanour, oh, right, yeah. She did she, look like she could have been housing, you know, a family of puppies in that puffer jacket. Yeah, Naomi said she'd, she'd been on flights in the past where the excess baggage charges have been so high she'd got shoes stuffed in her pockets and was wearing five jackets um <laughs> so you know i I, I thought it was a fantastic visual so she she comes out for the first match of the day on longland uh victoria zarenka taking on the montenegrin danka kovanic and they play three three games um three exceedingly ropey games um <laughs> i think Everyone involved would hold their hands up and say it was it was very relatable tennis for park players. Put it that way. It was air shots and um, yeah, it was it was it was dodgy. Um, and then at this point, it's sort of I mean, it's been raining throughout, as Matt described. But at this point, the rain starts pelting down even more heavily, and they sit down for the change of ends. And uh, I think the umpire says, "Let's just sit here on the court and see if it lets up." Um, and Azarenka says, no, I'm not having that. If we're waiting to see what happens with the rain, I'm not doing the waiting here because it's like nine degrees. And I don't think that was an a- exaggeration. It really was. I mean, the the, the weather the weather monitor that, that we were getting said 10 degrees at the time, but with wind chill and there was wind chill. 
uh, it definitely would have been less than that. Um, so she asked to see the supervisor. She made her point very, very clearly. Um, nobody was speaking to Kovanich at, at this stage. So after a while, Azarenka went over and said, do you want to to wait out here? <laughs> and Kovanich went, no, no, I don't. And uh, mm-hmm. so Azarenka said, OK, we're going. We're like, we're sitting here like, out here like ducks. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, Are you too I, related? I agreed with her wider point and I didn't really have a, a problem with the way she expressed it other than one line. I think she really damaged her case by saying, I live in Florida. I, I'm not used to the cold like this. And I thought, oh, you've done a you've done a disservice to stroppy women everywhere because <laughs> it was a really great strop until that moment. And then she suddenly looked like a pouty child. But I still think she had a point. And I still think, look, I know I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, you're professional athletes, you signed up to play this Grand Slam end of September, early October. You knew this was a possibility. Just button up and get on with it. That's what we all do all the time. But these are elite athletes playing at the absolute peak of their physical powers, stretching their bodies to their limits. And I'm sure we'll talk about this with Andy Murray and various other players throughout the pod, but it is not healthy it is a risky thing for them to be sat out there getting cold and then having to stand up and 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 push their bodies it's not it's not a safe thing to be doing so i think to say look if all we're doing is sitting around waiting i would rather do that waiting indoors please and she just marched off the court <laughs> and nobody <laughs> stopped her um, and then when she reemerged she was wearing even more layers than previously Brilliant. I didn't see I any of it. this with my own eyes because I was at uh, I was at the Roehampton PC World at this point. Um, what were you doing there? Trying to source a much needed uh, piece of technological equipment for remote commentary, which due to completely unforeseen circumstances uh, was not in my possession this morning. So I did a sort of treasure hunt uh, across London uh, with a taxi driver um who uh i had to really deploy my best uh, diplomacy which i know you think is not very much david but you would have been proud of me because one of the first things he said to me was that andy murray is racist against the english uh, and then i noticed he wasn't wearing a covid mask which is illegal uh and then he started talking about brexit and uh, it all <laughs> it all by by this point we were at our third pc world of the day and we're heading towards an Argos. And uh, he was being really helpful. He was waiting outside the entrances. He was he was doing laps around the place to avoid uh, to avoid parking charges. He was very much helpful to my cause, but overall, a terrible human being. Mm. Um, so I missed I missed the reemergence of Victoria Azarenka um, because I was doing that. Yeah, not that I'm at all traumatised and using this podcast as a cathartic experience or anything. And then she went and won in about half an hour, Matt. Yeah, I think it was six one six two, and she was brilliant. And, and I must say, I I completely understood Azarenka's point, and I thought she was absolutely right to make her point. I thought it was also indicative of the kind of frame of mind that she's in, that she totally decided to own that situation and take charge of it and... 
just do what she felt was right and also what was best for her opponent. I mean, her opponent agreed with her and did want to go off the court as well. I think the optics of it were a bit strange because all the other courts were still playing and people were maybe thinking that Azarenka was throwing a little bit of a hissy fit, you know, this kind of, you know, maybe acting like a little bit of a diva, but I didn't, I don't think that was the case. And I think genuinely the conditions on that court, on the Suzanne Longlong court, were unplayable at the time. As you said, Catherine, they had decided to stop the match because it was too slippery and not all the clay courts are the same, even in a, even in on the same site. They, it kind of depends how they're um, kind of prepared and looked after those clay courts. They can play a little bit differently. And so they decided to stop. So it made absolutely no sense to be waiting on the court in the rain. And it was it was a good half an hour, maybe even longer before they came back on. So... It was absolutely the right decision to go off. Um, I agree. I think the Florida line was unnecessary, but everything else she said I thought was was absolutely spot on. And while all this was was happening, I was I was sort of texting you all about my my get the violins out plight of the morning. Uh, and Matt, you said Chatteret is like a completely different tournament. Mm. Well, I didn't see anything that happened on Chatrier today. So tell me about tell me about what your it, sort of initial impressions were. The opening match was David Goffin and, and Yannick Sinner, which was an in, interesting results wise. But just your impressions of watching French Open tennis under the roof on Chatrier at the end of September. Well, I think the reason I said it was a different tournament is just to look at the match that's going on on Chatrier is just a completely different visual. It's it's light. The ball is not moving all over the place. The outside courts are gloomy. The gray, um, the clay almost turns a little bit gray with the rain. Whereas mm. on whereas on Chatrier, it was vibrant and light and the players were calm. They didn't have to worry about any of the, you know, horrible conditions that they were having to deal with on the outside courts. And it was just a totally different experience inside that arena. There there were also a sprinkling of fans. It didn't quite feel like there were a thousand fans in there like it did in Rome. They got the roof on. I reckon sort of 300 of them saw the weather forecast and said, (laughs) no, thanks. And as you said, David, this was all because they had the roof on and they were kind of able to play a fairly, a fairly normal match in just slightly cold conditions. I think, uh, Sinner was just in shorts and a t-shirt and Goffin had a had an extra layer on under his t-shirt but it it felt like a fairly normal match whereas on the outside courts it it felt completely wild um so it just as i said it just felt like a different different tournament it looked like a different tournament and the players the players just weren't having to deal with any weird circumstances and therefore it was i mean it wasn't a great match because Goffin didn't play very very well, but you were able to concentrate on the tennis a lot more, I thought. Is that what happened? Was that the story of that match? It wasn't Yannick Sinner being incredible and that being his big Grand Slam breakthrough moment? Sinner was excellent um, and these are really slow and heavy conditions and it was really noticeable how easily he managed to hit through the court. He's got such easy power, especially off his backhand. And he really punched a lot of holes in Goffin's game, but Goffin was incredibly flat he lost 11 games in a row in the middle of the match and actually afterwards he spoke he spoke quite well about and very honest about just how empty and drained he felt on the court he he really spoke about how it's been a stressful few months because well 
few weeks back on the tour because obviously it's the same for everyone, but you know, they are taking COVID tests very regularly and there's a kind of stress that comes with every test because if it's if it is a positive, they are out of the tournament and they are then having to quarantine, you know, somewhere they don't really want to be for a week, two weeks. And I know that's that's a risk that they've accepted, but it doesn't stop it being quite stressful. And I think it was I think it just caught up with Goffin today. He just looked drained of energy and motivation and really just wasn't in a good mindset stepping onto the court. So as great as Sinner was, when you see such a dramatic scoreline like that, I always think that there's something going on on both sides of the of the net for, for such a disparity between two players who are actually quite evenly matched. Mm. David, while all this was going on, what were you up to? Oh, I was I was on the motorway driving up to Manchester <laughs> to uh, to commentate for BBC Radio in Solvado. I wasn't supposed to be working today. Uh, it, uh, we were going to start our coverage tomorrow because so much other sport is around. But when we got the order of play and it was Andy Murray against Stan Wawrinka and it was also Joe Contra against Coco Goff and Dan Evans is playing, they said, "Okay, well let's let's create some extra space for in the schedule to to cover all this this tennis." So I drove up. And I walked into our Strictly Come Dancing production room, which is where we have our makeshift studio. And so I'm surrounded by pictures of uh, huge pictures of dancing people in sequins uh, from what is normally the, uh, the, the the Strictly Come Dancing room. And David me with lots of TVs. With, with sort of the ghost of Bruce Forsyth looming yeah. over him. Yeah, I definitely felt inspired what can i say uh today are you going and to say haunted no no I, i'm all right with it <laughs> i have to it's a bit weird i have to say but um this yeah, is your so first I, time ever commentating on the french open it is yeah and it's you're doing exactly, it in a strictly come dancing themed office it's not what i had in mind when i said <laughs> why don't i make my Roland garros debut this year and here i am i've just made it i've turned up and i've i've I'm surrounded by cardboard cutouts of people that I've seen on the TV for the last 20, well, last 40 years in Bruce Forsyth's case. And I'm commentating on all the three big British names going out in the first round on the first day. So that's what's happened in my day. Um, but actually, you know, my, my day began and I think that this, this really provided me with a, a way to feel the disparity in conditions. I started my day at 7.50 a.m. by watching two hours of the four-and-a-half-hour epic between Andy Murray and Stan Wawrinka in 2017. They were showing highlights of it, a rerun of it on um, on Eurosport, and I, I watched quite a bit of that. And they walked out onto the court that day in beautiful sunshine and the blue sky, absolutely packed crowd, great atmosphere, both players at the peak of their powers, and they just duked it out for... for for five sets and it was just wonderful it was one great tennis match um and should we, fascinating should we turn this into a relived episode david <laughs> that's what you're I'm making me it. want to do that's what i'm doing um and I, I later read some quotes that were in some of the newspapers today where andy murray's talking about the aftermath from that match and how he barely slept that night he said i, I only slept a couple of hours because my hip was throbbing uh, really aching and he, he said I'd had it had it before but this it didn't feel good and then 
the next few weeks I, I when I got out onto the grass at Queens he said I, I looked over at my trainer and I just said something's wrong something's wrong I'm, this isn't right to, to my physio and we all know what's happened since then rehab galore two surgeries a new hip uh, metal hip and here he is back out onto the court today and when they walked out there I mean again another one of these striking visuals weather-wise that Andy Murray was had an undershirt underneath his polo shirt. He'd got skin-tight black leggings uh, with socks over the top of them, which he, and he didn't take this stuff off for the entire match. Stan Wawrinka pretty quickly got into sort of normal shirt and T-shirts weather. And the place was, yeah, I mean, it had a few hundred fans in there, but it was under this sky of, of this slate gray sky. I mean, the roof had opened by then, but it just, with the contrast, was so jarring. I think the only similar thing with the two matches was the level of Stan Wawrinka, who, I mean, I'm sure he played better three and a half years ago because he was asked to, he was required to, but he played really well today. Andy Murray looked nothing like the same player. I mean, I, I hope it was just a one-off, but it was it was a hard watch today. One of his heaviest ever, I think, first-round Grand Slam defeats um and some interesting quotes coming out from him afterwards it was what it was six six one six three six two is that right yeah um and it and it felt like that if if not even more one-sided it felt every bit as one-sided as that scoreline suggested listen to me talking like i watched any of the match and wasn't watching shardy and uh rodionov um but i've read some quotes from andy murray after the match, I mean, I've read quite a lot um, subsequent to the match, um, and there's quite a lot that's that's interesting in there. He said, he said, I need to have a long, hard think about the match. He said, it's not the sort of match I would just brush aside and not think about. I think that's one of the worst defeats by scoreline in my career. I need to understand why the performance was like that. He he said. He said the movement and the hip is one thing, but he expects the ball striking to be better than it is. He said, I, I, "There's no, there's no excuse for me not being able to strike the ball um, like before." I think, I think that's what's worrying him the most. Um, and it's interesting, you know. He's, I, I should say, there's also um, a very strong quote saying, "I'm not going to stop." He said, "This is, this is pause for thought and pause for analysis," but it's not him saying maybe I'll pack it in altogether. No, he was treating this as a one-off. And he was saying, my ball striking is not a a feature of ill health. I'm not injured. It's not like like something went. I mean, there were moments when I was watching it when he didn't chase for balls that I really expected him to chase for, uh, particularly when he was wrong-footed. And it just... He was flat again. It was that flatness. And, and he, he also said in that press conference that he'd been getting really angry in some of the matches in America and he just decided to try not to do that. He thought that was working against him. But, it, I mean, it just didn't look like him at all. It was very strange. I mean, he also added that, look, I'm playing Stan, who when he plays well, if I play well, I may still lose because he's that good on clay. But this was not even close to Andy Murray. Um and I think the one crumb of comfort is what he also added, which was that let's not forget a few weeks ago, I beat Alexander Zverev, who reached the US Open final. So it's not like he hasn't produced form recently. He has. But it's just that those two and a half sets against 
Yoshihito Nishioka, followed by an exactly the same three sets against Stan today, just make you, as, a, as an observer who admires him greatly as, as we do, and, and I like him as well, and, and just revere what he's done in the sport, it is a, it's just hard to watch that. And I, I hope that that's not how it's going to be in the future. Yeah, I would be way more worried if Murray was saying he was having physical problems. Like, for me, if, as long as Murray thinks he's okay physically, I completely trust his judgment that he thinks he will still be able to hit the tennis ball extremely well for the rest of his career and technically live up to those very high standards that he set himself. I think I thought his US Open was kind of positive in a way because he was at least back to playing Grand Slams, but it was pretty jarring the way he was physically unable to recover in a in a 48-hour period for that second match. So that was a concern, but he but he could recognize that that was a concern and w- will improve if he can play more matches. He's in this he's in this difficult spot now where he's going to probably get some really tough draws and it's a kind of vicious circle. He needs he needs matches to get confidence, but he needs the confidence to win the hard matches that he's getting early on. So he's in a, he's in a quite a difficult place, but he, but I'm, I'm very encouraged by the fact that he thinks he held up physically and he was absolutely adamant about his plans to play some European indoor events in Cologne. I think back to, I think there might be back to back events just after the French open and he thinks, well, he said categorically, I will not play as bad as, there as I did today at Roland Garros and look I believe him and I I genuinely think that he's still got lots and lots of good tennis left in him my biggest concern as I've said is is the physical side of things but if he's happy about that that's encouraging and you know I think as you said David Sam Wawrinka was brilliant today and if we're talking about the conditions affecting matches well Sam Wawrinka has the power to hit through a very slow court and I know it's very early days in this tournament and I don't want to read too much into this result in the same way that I may have read a bit too much into Felix Auger-Aliassime beating Murray at the US Open but it felt like Wawrinka certainly announced himself as someone who could go deep in this tournament based on these conditions and the form that he displayed I mean he just he hit through Murray and he hit through the court with such ease and that is going to be devastating power, I think, against whoever he plays. Yeah, when I was watching the early stages of that Azarenka Kovinic match, I thought Thor wouldn't be able to hit through that tennis court. <laughs> and then out comes Stan Wawrinka and does a sort of three set long Thor impersonation. Uh, I'm going to read you now some quotes um, from Mats Valander uh, from the Eurosport coverage. And and when I first saw these, I was I was reluctant to to read them out and use them as a talking point in the podcast because I hadn't heard them said directly. And sometimes quotes like this from pundits can be taken out of context. And But they have been put out by Eurosport in their official daily press release. So, um, And they are getting a lot of traction. So this is what Mats Valander has had to say in Eurosport's coverage of, of that Murray-Vavrinka match. He said, I worry about Andy Murray. I would love to hear him say why he's out there giving us a false sense of hope that he's going to come back one day. I keep getting a little bit disappointed. Is it his right to be out there doing that? Why? I did it and I shouldn't have. It was the biggest mistake I did in my career. I think Andy Murray needs to stop thinking of himself 
and start thinking about who he was. Does he have the right to be out there taking wild cards from the young players? I was 26 when I first retired, came back at 28, played until 32. And there was a couple of years I played and should not have taken up the space where there were younger, more motivated players who were better than what I was. It's tough to quit, for sure. By giving us all hope by playing, it's just not right. I love the fact that he's back and trying. Hopefully he'll figure out why he's doing it. Um, I got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> uh, I'm very surprised, just initial reaction. I was very, very surprised to see those comments. Um, who wants to go first? Well... I would agree with you that that I kind I kind of want to hear them as well, just to see hear how they sounded. But the quotes are very very strong, aren't they? And very they sound very clear. It's uh, I, I struggle to he- hear those and think that they were com- that they're completely out of context or misinterpreted. Um, I've got a lot of time for Mats Valander. I've we've known him for years. Uh, I respect his view on so many different things, and I love listening to him. But I don't agree with any of that, um, personally. I, d- I just don't. Um, I, I remember Matt's comeback, and I remember being really excited by it at the time because I'd heard so much about Matt's Valander from the late 80s, and I remembered him vaguely. But once I became a proper tennis fan is, was the early 90s, and he made this comeback. And, and he wasn't competitive anywhere near what he used to be, it was, and it was very hard to watch. And I wouldn't want to see Andy Murray go on for two years and just play like he did today. I really wouldn't want to see that personally for, for him. But if he if he wanted to do that, that's that's absolutely fine. I don't have I personally don't have any problem with him taking wild cards and playing for as long as he wants if that's what he wants. I I, tr- I actually trust him wholeheartedly to know when it's time to give it up. Um because I just I just think he will know and and it's it's only a decision that he can make um and to me any time he's in the draw there's a possibility of him turning around a two set deficit like he did against Nishioka and just making us all feel magnificent and wonderful it won't always happen um but i think we've seen enough in the match against Zverev um and and when he beat Tiafo and that comeback to know that there is still good tennis in him as as Matt says as long as his body can hold up Give him the chance to just find out for himself. He worked so hard to get back to a, a state where he could take his place on the court at all that he deserves the chance to just see where that takes him. Yeah, they seem like incredibly reactionary quotes to a bad, yes, a bad result for Andy Murray. But, you know, you need to put that result into some kind of context. This This was Murray's first clay court match for three years against a very, very good clay court player, a French Open champion in Stan Wawrinka. And yes, it was an alarming performance from Andy Murray, but I don't understand really why you would be reading any much more into it than that if Murray himself isn't reading more into it. And and he isn't based on the press conference that he's given. Um, there's, also, there's also this strange thing i think with sports people that fans or pundits or whoever maybe think that the player owes them something i've never really understood that and that quote that mats van has given about sort of 
personally feeling offended by watching Andy Murray out there. Well, Andy Murray doesn't doesn't owe anyone anything. It's his career and he's he's the author of his career and he should get to decide. And I mean, I was watching Venus Williams today who, you know, has has achieved even more than Andy Murray and has now lost in the first round of a slam five times out of the last six and she's 40 years old and I was nothing but inspired watching Venus Williams out there and mesmerized in a way by the way that she was as vocal as I've seen Venus Williams in a long time at the end of that end of that match and she lost and she will not play again this year but I don't think she should be retiring. It's not up to me to say. It's not up to anyone to say. It's, it's, it's Venus Williams' decision when her career ends. And it's Andy Murray's decision when his career ends and how he wants to, how he wants to finish his career. And yes, we can, we can comment on Murray's performances and maybe say what we think he should be doing or whatever. But to kind of think that he doesn't have the right to be taking these wild cards or have the right to still be out there. I, 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 I'll str- honestly, I struggled to find a quote that I disagree with more than that one. Mm. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you both has, have said. And yeah, well, I, whilst I have an enormous amount of respect for Matts, and I, I, I respect the fact that he's appreciated, he's experienced something that he sees as similar to Andy Murray. And he thinks that he has a particular insight, therefore, that that all the rest of us commentators perhaps don't have. Um, and that gives him the right to, to comment. But it's still completely overstepping to to even even posit that he, he might have a better insight into what's best for Andy Murray than Andy Murray himself. And yeah, just the, the, the final the final line about querying why he's doing it. I hopefully he'll figure out why he's doing it. I find that highly bizarre because if there's one thing we know about what Andy Murray's doing, it's why he's doing it. There is uncertainty over how it'll turn out, how what his results will be, where the end point will be. But if there's one thing I don't think anybody that knows anything about Andy Murray would ever question, and that's why he's doing it. It's because he loves the sport and because he can. So why would he? wants to see what's left. He He wants wants to to see see what's left. If it's there still, you know. That's what he said about uh, after his US Open loss. He said, "I, I, you know, while I can still do this, why wouldn't I? You're a long time retired, so... Isn't that why Mats Valander came back? Because he wanted to see what was left. Well, I, I, I mean, I do wonder whether maybe Mats. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Mats regrets it. Um, yeah, from, it sounds like those... there's some some scar tissue there, which which I'd kind of which intrigues me, and I'd love to hear about. And it's yeah. it's good to hear him sort of opening up about that and potentially sharing his experience, but projecting that onto somebody else, I don't think is mm. is necessarily cool. But anyway. Other by, things, by the way, um, yeah. you mentioned um, Venus Williams there, Matt. Um, I, I had an email overnight from a listener of ours who's one of the, the, the tennis commentators that I respect the most, Ted Robinson, who has commentated for NBC for many years uh, alongside Mary Carrillo and, and John McEnroe. And, and he, he just wanted – he's a listener of ours. And he, he said, 
About Venus Williams, you said, has any player been more unfairly treated for a long time than Venus Williams in terms of court scheduling? Today, she's on the third court while players like Azarenka and Contra are on Longland. Both are fine players, but neither has reached a Roland Garros final. Venus is a seven-time champion, Olympic gold medalist, uh, 20 years ago today, he says, and a person who will always be remembered for her equal prize money fight. Yet at Roland Garros, she has always been pushed to second and third courts, never being given the respect she has earned. Hard agree. Jeremy Shardy was on court Suzanne Longlong. Was he? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Truth, Matt, truth. I completely agree. And it's not just the French Open. I mean, it was a few years ago where Venus, I think she might have been on court 12 at Wimbledon. Yeah. Five-time champion. Yeah. Wimbledon have rectified it. They They they, have. Yeah. They they got a a lot of stick for it and they have rectified it in recent years. But absolutely, it is not just the French Open, although it does happen pretty pretty egregiously there. It is weird, isn't it, that they that, that happens. I mean, I don't know whether it's because she's been around so long and they just feel like she's old news or something. But I and mean she, she never kicks up a fuss about it. She's she's always so dignified about it. Do you remember that time when Yelena Yankovic was scheduled on court eighteen at Wimbledon? And it was <laughs> I mean, it was a scene. Yeah. The wallpaper <laughs> was coming off the wall. Yeah. Venus Williams just takes it all with such grace. Um, she did lose today to Schmiedlova. You lured me into a prediction there, David. I did. I mean, I, mm. when we were going I through... the bait I mean, and it went badly wrong. You and I both had a bad day, Catherine, on the daily predictions. I went for Dan Evans to win and he lost in, in five. What, what um, was that match like? I, I only saw it in, in bits, but I mean, it was all over the place. There, there were, I think, <laughs> yeah. three, of the sets, three of the sets were 6-1. Um, the first two, so it went uh, one six six one, and and those two sets were were half an hour each. Third set was an hour and twenty five minutes long, <laughs> and yet at one stage that was four one forty love that third set. Yeah, that that, that third set was five two to Nishikuri. Then Evans comes all the way back to be leading and serving for the set. Then he fails to serve for the set. Then it goes into a tie break. Uh, Nishikuri wins the tie break. Then Evans wins the fourth set six one. Uh, and then they go into a fifth, and and event, and I mean, and and Nishikori was leading the third set, the fifth set rather, three love. Then Evans comes back to three all, and looks like he's about to turn it around and win. And then Nishikori extends this incredible five set record that he's got to twenty four wins and six defeats over five sets. Amazing, really. Yeah, he's he's got the best fifth set record among active players who've played you know, I think over 10 or over 15 of them, something like that. So there's a big enough sample size. And I've been quite dismissive of of that five-set record in the past. I've often thought that he's got himself involved in fifth sets that he just shouldn't have been in and therefore kind of ended up winning. And I think there is a bit of that, but, you know, there also comes a point where you have to just really admire that record and he's clearly doing something right in those fifth sets. And there was a lovely moment, I thought, right at the end where... He just he just sort of walked over to his chair and seemed to be taking in the absurdity of the situation. They'd had they'd had some of the roughest conditions of the day, I think, Evans and Nishikori, and and he just sat down and it was it was just a moment, I think, to kind of take in where he is in a way in his career because you know he's unseated at a slam now. He's barely played for a year. He took some heavy defeats just prior to. 
to Roland Garros on the clay. And, you know, he was really getting thrashed at the start of this match against Evans and he managed to turn it around. And I think that's just such a satisfying win for Kane Ishikori. To round off uh, Brit failure day, who who saw the most out of the three of us of Joe Conta against Coco Goff? Well, I think I I didn't see an awful lot, to be honest, because a lot of it co- coincided with Murray. So I don't know about you, Matt. Did you see much? I saw bits. Yeah, I, I, I had the same problem um, coinciding with Murray. I thought... Again, I, I listened to what Joe Conta said in the press conference and I thought sometimes I can be a little bit confused about Joe Conta's analysis of a match, but I thought she was crystal clear in what she said. She just said, I did not play well enough at all. And I mean, she didn't. And really, she didn't play well on the big points. Coco Goff did. And you said on our WhatsApp, David, that you had maybe underestimated the importance of clay court preparation for this tournament. Yeah, and, I think I, I think I have. And I, I think really do. I think I probably did with that match. And I don't I don't know why, because the one thing I always think about Joe Contra is that she needs prep. You know, she's not the student who goes into an exam and wings it. She's the one who's done loads of revision and feels ready and that's when she performs her best, when she's got matches under under her belt. And I just think she just wasn't really ready to play at her best in this tournament it just it just came too quickly for her on the clay in um reboarding the hype train news it did in the little snippets of that match that i saw it suddenly struck me that coco goff actually has a really good game for those conditions um the i mean the the power she has to hit through the court but but the margin for error on her shots i think the ability to apply that margin and the extra spin uh, when it's required in in heavy wind or whatever, um, I think is going to be a real real bonus ball at this tournament. And I think Azarenka said that the players who adapt are going to be the ones mm. who really thrive in these conditions. And again, comparing Goff to Conta, Conta's got got a brilliant, brilliant game when everything's working. But mm. that 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 ability to adapt in matches, she's. She's improved that a lot, I think, but it's still one of her weaknesses. And Goff has maybe maybe just a few more layers, a few more plans that she can revert to if Plan A isn't working. And as you said, she, there was a there was a nouse about her, and um, mm. it, and it kind of it kind of got her through some some tight moments in the match. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. How good was Simona Halep today? I tuned in and she was a breakdown to Sara Cerebes Tormo. Mm. And then I checked the live scores about 20 minutes later and she'd, she'd won it four in love. Yeah, well, she'd won 10 games in a row from being a breakdown. And when we talk about the me underestimating clay court preparation, I heard that she'd been practicing on clay for about five months. Because if you consider that she hasn't gone to play the US Open, her return to the tennis court has been exclusively on clay. And I mean, she looks like she's like a a duck in water, isn't she? She looks like she was born just on a clay court and uh, moving around and and never looks off balance, always looks perfectly set up. And and she was pushed today for those first eight games or so by Cereba uh, Torres. But then the, 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 the confidence she's built up with those two tournament wins just, just came to the fore. And she's going to Somebody's going to really have to play well to beat her. And I think where I, I've underestimated it is that I've, in the predictions we've done, I've taken people that have played well on hard courts or, or just can hit. backtracking, folks. Well, I, I mean, I can one. see. You did those yeah. predictions this morning. I know. I'm, t- I'm admitting like my fault. Yeah. <laughs> the floor <laughs> is yours, move- David. The movement issues are a problem, and the fact that I have now got uh, Dominic Team winning the title in the men's draw, despite the worst draw in history uh, for his for himself. <laughs> Who have you got in the women's, David? Uh, I've got Serena Williams beating Jennifer, Jennifer Brady. Brady in the final. Yeah, Who, David first of, heard of Jennifer Brady about three and a half weeks ago, folks, and he's, and he's trying to make up for it hand. by um, <laughs> by predicting her to win everything. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, just get to the final. <laughs> yeah, the problem is with 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 both of those two players is neither of them have even set foot on a clay course in the in the run up at all. So uh, anyway, I'm I'm stand by it, but I don't know why. You stand by it, but you've 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 laid a disclaimer on the podcast. Mm, well, you know. You've got to cover your tracks. Uh, any other notable results from the day? When we started recording, Zverev was two sets to love up. I can only assume that he has got the job done against Denis uh, Novak. He has. And it was seven five six two six four. And actually, Novak served for the first set at 5-4. Um, and was playing... I was watching that. I, d- I was thinking, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen this guy play before. I've heard his name for years. He was playing beautifully, just floating the ball at... Zverev's feet and 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 messing him around, but you know I always think of Zverev in these talk matches. He often has a, a a set or two struggle, but then when he hits the front, he's he's quite formidable. 
other results. Caroline Garcia beat Annette Conservate 6-4 in the third. That looked possibly, I, I didn't see uh, a point of it because I don't know if I mentioned this, but I was watching Jeremy Shardy <laughs> on Suzanne Longlin. Um, but on paper, that looked quite good, quite high quality, dare I say. Yes, I watched the third set and um, I was really Im- impressed with Caroline Garcia because she was a breakdown quite quite early on in that set and then just really just decided to go for it and be the playmaker out on the court and she was jumping around second serves and hitting forehand winners and she said something really interesting afterwards that she loved having the fans in the stadium because obviously she hasn't played in front of fans for for a little while yet at the same time she felt so much less pressure than she usually feels at Roland Garros oh, right. because you know she is someone who has probably underperformed really in terms of her her ability that she's got and she's got a home slam and she's never really made the most of it and she's had some difficult losses there but it was kind of the perfect balance for her it was an, it was there were enough fans rooting for her but not too many to put that much pressure and and she really did thrive down the stretch of that match yeah, she's got a forehand that could work in these conditions as well. You do realise Mass picked her to beat Contivate in the daily newsletter that you can all subscribe to and follow these uh, predictions. Matt mm. picked that. Look, look at his face, honestly. Uh, Elise thanks, Mertens thanks won, that, won today. Uh, who else do we have? Benoit Pair won today. Uh, Diego Schwartzman was awesome today against uh, Mirmir Ketsmanovic. Ketsmanovic, uh, love one and three. And Ketsmanovic won Kitschbühl a couple of weeks ago. Kitschbühl, oh God. Um, <laughs> We've had a contribution about that, by the oh. way. Yeah, my mum told me off about that. What? Did you? Did you? <laughs> Why? Uh, well, because I, I'd had a conversation with my mum before about how to pronounce Kitschbühl. And uh. obviously not properly listen to what she was saying but yes Could somebody just tell us how it's, to pronounce kitschbull it, it's odin fk can odin fk has written into at tennis podcast well hang on said, matt what were you going to say let's see i was going to say same. you need to try and think of it a bit like taylor fritz kits kitschbull kitschbull see odin fk is saying it's kids Oh, for goodness Kids sake, girl. we're moving on. Um, <laughs> Barbora Stritzova won Sakari, loves uh, 6 love seven five over Tom Lianovic. Kai Kanepi, it's not that I don't want to get it right, I just want somebody definitively to tell me what's right and then I'll do it. Apparently I'm I've not, just I... butchered a name, by the way. Um, Cerebes uh, Tormo. Yeah, Cerebes Tormo. What did I call her? <laughs> Something very funny. <laughs> Sorry, um, everybody. I did, I did notice you were smirking after I said it, and I thought, I've messed that up, haven't I? And I've looked it <laughs> oh, up. Oh, bless you. That was about eight minutes ago. Turns out. Uh, Kanepi won today. John Isner won today. Uh, Norbert Gombos beat Borna Chorich today. Has there I mean, ever been a, a player called Norbert? that has won before on a postcard. Uh, Cecchinato beat Ooh, Alex de Minore. I, Some slightly upsetting quotes from de Minore after that match. Yeah, he yeah he's a bit lost, I think. He, he said, I'm really lost, which consider he's just reached his first ever Grand Slam quarterfinal. And I think that's was, why he's so yeah. confused by it, because he thinks he should be playing well because of that result, but he, he doesn't feel comfortable on the court at all. And... I think he's being a bit harsh on himself. That was a match which Me too. which really clay. Yeah. Mm. Clay's not his surface, I don't think. And that was a match which had a thirty minute fourteen deuce game at four all in the second set. 
Dimonor lost it and then didn't win another game. It was it was such a big turning point. And um, God, today was weird. Yeah, but <laughs> this means Kechenato has finally won another. Hang on, did I say? Ch- Ke- I don't know. How, how, we, that, how are we saying that now? Chechenato. Chechenato. Kechenato. Yeah. I don't know. Even I know that. <laughs> well, hang on. We don't know that it's right. That's just how we've been saying it for three years. Oh, no. Proceed, Matt. I'll look it up on the ATP website. Okay. Well, he finally won another round one match at a Grand Slam. His, the only other time he'd, he'd won a round one match was when he got to the semi-finals of the French Open. I think he'd lost something like 10 round ones other than that. So he's in a tournament and he's shown in the past that when he gets in a tournament, he can he can do things. So perhaps just keep an eye on, on him and because he also qualified, so he's clearly in, in good form. Mm. There is no audio file of him saying his name on the ATP website. Helpful. Uh, Odin so FK, if you can help us out. I think can I just that's tell it. Jeannie Bouchard won today, straight sets, oh, yeah. backing up her run in Istanbul. I think that's it for sort of significant results anymore, the, for any more. Well, I just wanted to tell you about a racket smash that I caught out of the corner of my eye. Uh, was, it, in, uh, was it Yuri Rodionov? Because he did a good one. No, no, no nobody wasn't. wants to talk about that match. No, no you're right, never. Catherine. Okay, we've done never that again. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, a, a chap called I can't. I don't even know his first name, but he was John Isner's opponent, and his surname is Bonchetree. Elliot. Elliot. Yeah, Elliot. Oh, okay. Old Elliot. Well, he lost six four, six one, six three, and when he lost the first set. In fact, it was a juice point, just like a normal juice point, <laughs> and he lost the point. And he slammed his racket down, holding onto the handle the whole time. He slammed it down six times onto the ground, just like like he's swatting something. It was so funny. And then when he got, so he got over to the bench and he sort of leant the racket against the bench diagonally, so it's standing up diagonally. And then he put his foot through it and snapped it in half. Oh, it's so good. Wow. Wow. A, a several-stage <laughs> racket smash. That's got to well, be... That's I shouldn't be... advocate for this. But... <laughs> I feel like if you've smashed it six times, you're hoping that it's come in half already, that you shouldn't have yeah. to put your foot through it. Didn't help mm. his game. Lost <laughs> That's ego destroying. But anyway, it's funny. Uh, I'm going to whiz you through the order of play for tomorrow, all the significant matches. Uh, Chatrier starts with Kvitova against Ossian Dodin. Uh, Marin Cilic against Dominic Team, probably the match of the day. Up second, Christy Arn against Serena Williams is third. And then is it Igor or Evgeny Gerasimov? Igor. Against Rafael Nadal. Igor, yeah. against Rafael Nadal. 83 in the world. Great. Uh, and then on Suzanne Longlen, it's um, Kiki Burton's against somebody I will know an awful lot more about in 12 hours' time than I do now. Katarina so Zavatska. There you go. That 112 one. in the world. Yep, I'm all over it. Um, Ukraine. Alina Svitolina against Vavara Gracheva. Uh, Gemov Fis against Alexander Bublik. That sounds fun to me. I'm oh, very yeah. much here for that. And then Daniil Medvedev against Martin Fucevic, which I think could be... Hmm, Upset alert there. Uh, Fanini playing on Mathieu. Uh, Muguruza is over on Mathieu. Karen Hatchinov uh, and Elise Cornet over there as well. Uh, Angelique Kerb is on court 14. Madison Keys is on court 7. Sviontek against Vondrusheva. 
is second on court seven. Uh, I we definitely, all want to watch that, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Matt's definitely going to tune into that. Uh, and I think that's kind of the highlights from tomorrow. Any other Couple business before I Liam talk? Liam Brody's playing. Can I, okay, where's that? Tell me. Oh, I don't know what number. Uh, court 10. Court 10, third on against Yuri Vesely and Cameron Norrie's playing against somebody called Daniel Elahi Galan, who's 152 in the world from Colombia. There you go. Lovely. Um, any more for any more before I start talking about animals? Very quickly, who have you both predicted to reach the finals? Um, um, Nadal, and, oh. Nadal and Djokovic. Yes. And Halep. And Muguruza. Yes. I've really gone out on a limb. Yeah. And who, who's winning? Nadal, Nadal and Halep. and Halep. Mine are far more interesting, aren't they? <laughs> oh, they are, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, right, this is Karen what happens Catherine. when you've got little to lose. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention in, in another weird thing that happened today. It was the first day of a Grand Slam, and yet I was also watching an ATP 500 final. Oh, crikey, Yes. Because um, yeah. Andre Rublev beat Stefanos Tsitsipas seven five in the third set, and this was a this was a great great match. And Rublev has found a level of consistency this year that I don't think any of his peers really have. I mean, probably Novak Djokovic aside, but Rublev is this is his third title of the year. I think he's won over 25 matches this season in a very curtailed season, he's been brilliant. And he won 16 of the last 19 points against Sitsipas. And the reason that that is so alarming, I think, is that it was pretty much the same thing that happened to Sitsipas in New York. You know, he got close to the finish line and couldn't, couldn't cross it. And it was a it was a slower demise in New York because it was five sets and it was all it was all drawn out and quite quite horrifying really was this was quick um but it was the same it was basically the same thing and he got he started shanking the ball when he was in the lead and you could it felt like scar tissue from that New York defeat um so I think he was walking this very fine line anyway sits a pass by playing Hamburg and going deep whether whether that was a good thing for his French Open preparation or not because you're worried about fatigue he's got to travel to Paris and wait for his negative COVID-19 result before he can go on site, all those sorts of things. And yet at the same time, you're also thinking, oh, well, maybe he's gaining some confidence, getting some wins. But then you just wonder whether a, a situation like this, whether it takes away any of the confidence that he's built up over the week by by winning mm-hmm. so many matches. I think basically time will tell. And I think he's going to be such an interesting player to watch in Paris over the next, well, however long he's in the tournament, because there's just so many things going on in Tsitsipas' world at the moment. I'm concerned about his despair levels. I think he needs to spend some time sifting through photos and videos of animals that lovely people have sent him. (laughs) I think it would do him some good, uh, because that's what I've spent the last week doing. And look, I I had faith in you all when uh, I put out the appeal less than a week ago uh, for candidates to be our bonus French Open mascot for 2020. Um, but I have nonetheless been gobsmacked and overwhelmed by what you sent in. I really am touched to my very core um, by your submissions. We have such lovely, lovely listeners. I'm I'm blown away by it. Um, I've recorded uh, to that effect a 40 minute video because I wanted to 
I was insistent. <laughs> I was insistent I wanted to. Re- there is a winner, and I will get to that in a moment. There's a very clear winner, but I was insistent that I wanted to recognize every single sub- submission because um, you've all put so much time into it, and it only felt right. Um, and David said, Oh, can you make that a minute long video so it fits on Instagram? And I said, Oh, I'll see what I can do. Anyway, it's 40 minutes long and I'm not redoing it because I've got absolutely no energy left. Uh, and I still haven't had my scone from earlier. Um, so we're going to put that up somewhere. And if you've, if you're really interested in animals and stuff, uh, and you've got some time on your hands, have a gander at that video. It was a labor of love. Um, but if you don't have time to watch my full 40 minute monologue about other people's <laughs> animals, then I would urge you to watch just one video. And that is a video sent in by our listener, Steve Armour, about the mascot that we have chosen for Roland Garros 2020. Um, he's called Cam. Uh, the message from Steve says, Hi, Catherine, I'm attaching a YouTube link for my Border Collie to be considered for the twen- to, for the tennis podcast French Open 2020 mascot. Everything you need to know is in the video. I hope you'll watch it. Many thanks from Steve, Joe, Cam and Maggie, who knows nothing about this. Um, and I think everybody should just watch the video, unless you don't like animals, in which case you probably stopped listening several minutes ago. <laughs> um, but just watch the video and even if, you submitted your own lovely, lovely pet. You'll probably understand why we chose Cam uh, and why um, we were all in unanimous agreement, even though I would have ignored them had Matt and David not been in unanimous agreement. So lovely Border Collie Cam is our mascot for our second Roland Garros 2020. Welcome, Cam, to the Tennis Podcast family. Very well said. I, I couldn't agree more. And if you would like to watch that video, it is viewable linked from our show notes today. And we'll put it on social media as well. Just watch the video. Just watch the video. That's it for our first weird <laughs> Roland Garros 2020 in autumn slash winter podcast. Should we do it all again tomorrow? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm going to have a beer tomorrow. We'll see you then. Two. 